This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Are you guys excited for the last church? Yeah. So here's what we're going to do, all right, y'all? I have had multiple people ask me if we are going to continue Sunday evening services. Um, we did, we, we started strong and we're kind of settled, I think. I'm fine with that. I don't care how many people come to a service as long as people want to get together, have fellowship and, and dive into the word together. So we're going to, our intention, my intention is to continue in the future. Next week on Sunday evening, I will not be here. I'll be in Israel. Um, we're having a guest speaker. Most of you may already know Larry Palmer. He was the, the founding pastor. Well, no, he actually didn't found it. He took it over very small, but he was the pastor of Calvary Chapel Henderson. For many years, he's going to be teaching the two morning services this Sunday, next Sunday, and then he's also going to be doing the evening service. That evening service is not going to look like this, so I'd still like uh, communion to be put out during worship, but it's going to be uh, uh, like a regular service. It's not going to be like the two songs and the share and stuff like that, just to make it so things are not complicated for him, so he'll be sharing next week. And then I actually get back the next week. Um, the week after that, we fly in on Saturday. I have every intention on being here Sunday morning and, and doing at least the two morning. I'd like to do Sunday evening and do make it like a recap of the Israel trip. I think that would be really fun and, and cool. So that's what the, the plan is. That's what my intention is. And that's the direction that we're going. With that said, if for some reason I'm not well or not able to do it, you know, the Lord will take care of you guys. Um, but that's, that's what the plan is. That last worship song, for some reason, um, that's one of my favorite songs that, that our worship team um, does. I love that song so much. But, but during that last worship song, the Lord put this psalm on my heart. And I'm just going to read it out to you guys, if that's okay. Psalm 92, if you want to turn to it and follow along, just kind of came out of nowhere. I'll give you a second to get there. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the, higher, on the harp, with harmonious sound, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our, of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall f be fresh and flourishing to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Turning to Revelation chapter 3, finishing chapter 3 with the last church, the church of Laodicea. 
one of the most referenced churches of the seven churches by people scripturally. One of the most famously quoted verses that we will get to, but I'll give you up front, that's completely taken out of context in the way that people quote it, is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And many, of it, many, an, eval, many an evangelism team had used this verse to say that Jesus is knocking on the door, the door of their heart. Not the context at all what Jesus is saying to this church. Jesus is saying to this church that I have been escorted off the premises and I would like to come back in and have fellowship with you believers, but I'm not present at the time. So we'll get there in a minute when we get to the end of the church. But Laodicea is an interesting church. It was built on a high plateau. And the word Laodicea means old fortress. So again, these places had to be able to be defended easily, defended well. There was just one problem with the location. It was easily defendable, but it was very difficult to transport water to Laodicea. Not many people realize this, but if you've uh, done your homework or you're a, a Bible studier and you looked ahead, you'll know that there's another portion of Scripture that Laodicea is mentioned. Does anybody know where that is in the Bible? Anybody know? If you're following along with me and you'd like to read with me, flip over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Paul is writing to the church of Colossae. Colossae was very near to Laodicea. It's very close to the church. And this is something that Paul had to say to the Colossians regarding the Laodiceans, which is interesting because there's a couple other verses. As you read through the letter of, to, to the Colossians, it's very, it's almost eerily similar to what Jesus is saying to the church here in Revelation and Laodicea. Very similar. In fact, some things are almost word for word. But let's look in chapter 4 of Colossians, chapter 16. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. Huh? And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So it's going to be a two-part project. You're going to read the letter that I gave to Laodicea, and they're going to read the letter that I wrote to you, Paul says. So they were needing instruction. Some people believe that Paul was the one who founded the church in Laodicea. We have no proof that it was, but we do have a reference, which is pretty interesting, isn't it? I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation is with my own hand. Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So the same kind of state that Paul was in when he wrote both of these letters. Um, interesting to note, we have the letter to the Colossians. The letter to the Laodiceans by Paul was lost. We do not have it. We do not know where it was. But it was similar in nature to, not exact, but similar in nature to this letter to the Colossians and that he wanted both of them to have this information. So he says, hey, when you guys get these letters, exchange them and read them to each other because it applies to both of you. Isn't that interesting? We're going to be, keep your finger in uh, Colossians because we're going to be flipping back to Colossians to read another verse that is applicable um, because of the language that, that Jesus uses to the church of Laodicea. And before we do, let's pray. God, we definitely don't know like the beginning from the end. Like you do. We don't know what it's going to look like at your second coming. All we do know is that we want you to come quickly. We don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to act like we don't want to know because we do. Lord, we want to be informed. We want you to teach us. We want you to instruct us. We want to take heed to the warnings in your word. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready. So Lord, we pray tonight that you would equip us for this age that you have us to live in, the, the concerns that we should have to, to, to keep guard, what to keep guard over. And God, if there's any of us here tonight that you want to speak a word to through this last church, Laodicea, God, we ask for fertile hearts to receive seed. We ask for ears to hear what your spirit has to say. We ask that you teach us. You're our shepherd. We ask that you'd feed us. 
and that you'd be glorified through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So most of the introductions by Jesus to the church are twofold that we have seen. This one is threefold. And I see, I don't know if, if, if somebody would agree or disagree with me, but when, I, when I'm digging in and I'm looking at it, I see there's three distinct uh, greetings that he uses in ways that he, that he identifies himself. And when the, right when I saw them, I thought all three of them were um, time-oriented. So we look at the first one. These things says the amen. So when I hear the word amen, or when you say the word amen, what does the word amen mean? You guys know what it means. What does amen mean? So be it. It is something that is going to soon transpire. It will happen. Amen. That's it. So we have uh, a future. So we have the future tense. The amen, Jesus says, the thing says the amen, the so be it. The faithful and true witness. When you think of Acts chapter 1 and 2, when Jesus tells us that we are to be his witnesses in the whole, on the whole earth, what do you think that that looks like practically? Well, practically for me, for me to be a witness, I can't be a witness of something, of an event, of a person, of a situation. I cannot be a witness of something in the past. I cannot be a witness of something in the future. I can, but it's got to get to that point. So what, is, what does the witness speak of? I believe the witness speaks of the present. We are a witness now in everything that we do and say in our lives. So we have the amen, the, the future. We have the witness, the, the present. And then we have um, <laughs> pretty self-explanatory. The amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of the world. You don't go much further back than that, do you? So we've got the future, we've got the present, and we've got the past. This is who is speaking to the Laodicean church. This is who I am. I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness, dependable, faithful, and the beginning of the creation of God. There was at some point for the Laodicean church, uh, the, the beginning of their existence, there was some point of the continuing of what their purpose in Laodicea was to be a witness of God, a witness of, of the resurrection and power of Jesus Christ. And there was going to be a future. This holds some warning for it. I know your works, verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich. I become wealthy and have need of nothing. Let's stop there for a second. Many times when we read this letter, we get this picture of somebody drinking a beverage. I personally don't have any issues with lukewarm beverages. I don't know if you do. Maybe you do, right? Some people like things really cold, especially in the summertime here in Las Vegas. Some people like things really hot. I'm not sure if that is the best way to understand it. I've, I've, I've come to look at this a different way since, since uh, over the years, you know, and listening to lots of Bible studies about the Church of Laodicea. And I think that it has to do with something. It could have something to do with, with something a little bit different. Uh, part of the, the history of the Laodiceans was it was... It had a, a, a very famous and, and um, successful medical school where they trained doctors. And at this medical school where they trained doctors, they were famous for their development of two medications. One was ointment for ears that helped with hearing. The other was a salve that was good that you placed on your eyes which Jesus talks about the eye solve that he wants to give to them. 
So the big pictures coming together. It was a medical city. It was for the training of doctors. This ISOV was world famous. It was exported and known about it, documented historically. So we understand that there's, there's a medical influence here. And then when you're in the town looking out from it, most historians will, will agree and tell you that there was this famous hot spring area. And it was huge. It was huge. And they said that you could look at it and you could see the steam rising. And as the water spilled over this spillway, I think, uh, I think one person said it was like a half mile wide, but it was this huge place where people would go up for medicinal purposes and soak in the hot springs to, to get some kind of healing. But as the water went over the side, there were other pools down below that gathered that weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just like leftover water. And you never saw anybody down there because there was no real benefit to being down there in the hot springs. So I think that quite possibly the hot, cold, lukewarm could be speaking more in, in the medical terms that they would be known for, which does equate spiritually to God wanting to be our Jehovah Rapha, our, our healer, the one who uh, attended to the things that we needed attending to. And we're going to look at a little bit more why they needed this help, clearly. But the 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 steam baths or the, the hot springs would be medicinal. The hot would be beneficial for them. The cold, I remember when I was in high school. By the way, I really like high school science teachers, so just wanted you two to know that. My high school science teacher was a Christian, and she's the only Christian that I can remember in high school to who would love on me and share her faith with me. And I thought, this lady's different. It's kind of cool. Um, so anyway... High school science teachers are good, and you guys are doing a good job. Keep going. But anyway, so when I was in high school, I played sports. I did wrestling, I ran track, and I played soccer. Those are my three main sports. And in track and wrestling, um, soccer, not quite as much, but, but a little bit too. We had these big things in, in our sports area to school. We had these huge tubs where we made ice baths. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but athletes, to, to help promote healing and blood circulation and other scientific stuff that I'm not really sure about, what athletes will do is they will dip themselves into these ice baths. And even though it wasn't very comfortable, it was very beneficial for them in the healing process. It's also very beneficial for you to go in hot springs, right, medically speaking. And, and there's, there's a benefit for both. But there really isn't any kind of benefit um, for just regular, regular water. How many of you have drawn a bath before and you thought that it was going to be hot and you got in and it was less than lukewarm? It's like, well, that just ruined the whole thing. Now I got to drain it all and, and put it all back in again. Now I know I'm pushing this pretty hard, but, but again, um, speaking from the historical context, uh, as we see Jesus references also, I think there, there might be something there that we should think about and consider a little bit more. The, the vomiting or the spewing, we haven't got to yet, but we'll talk about it in a minute. Oh, he did say it, actually. I will vomit you out of my mouth. There's a rejection of, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a pretty, <laughs> that's quite the, the word to receive from Jesus himself. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. One of the other things Laodicea was known for, it was known that it did not need any outside help from anybody. Their, their industry was booming. They produced this black wool that was unique in the whole world. And it was sought after and went for a very high price, which is to contrast another thing that we're going to see here in a minute. But uh, they were known as the self-made people. They were self-made. They, they, they were the get it done. We can do it. The problem is they had this, this appearance of being rich, of being wealthy, and having need of nothing. But the reality is on the inside, they were broken and they were, and they were, they were troubled. For some reason, I don't want to draw too much of a comparison, but it really does reek of 
suburbia American church. It's like we dress up to make sure that we look good and, and we have our smiles on and our makeup. And, and what we end up doing, we go to church and we just put on an act and act like everything's fine and act like we're rich and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And on the inside, we are, we are not doing well. We're struggling. And this is that, this is where that, that part of, of where healing needs to come. And again, he's going to touch on it a little bit more in a, in a second here, but, but they need more healing than their position that they appear to have by everybody else. You say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you know that whenever we, like Bethany so well put it, do you know whenever we as a church or individuals start to take charge of things ourselves and say, I can handle this, I can do that, I can do this, we start to uh, escort Jesus out of the building, you know. Here, Jesus. What we don't want to do is we don't ever want to be in a place where we're more about programs and efficiency and making things happen. Yeah, Bethany may never talk to me again because I put her on the spot and had her come up here tonight, but we will not be accused of having programs or running things so efficiently that Jesus is escorted out of the building. I hope not, right? So we want to be sensitive to the Spirit. We want to be sensitive to the Lord. Lord, what do you have for us? We don't want to act like we have it all together. Yes, we just announced uh, a building fund today. Yes, we talked about how we have this down payment fund that we're putting to so that we can be wise stewards of what God gives us. And within three years, we can be in a place to get our own building <clears throat> where I believe Patrick I'm not sure if Patrick misspoke or not, but it would be less than double of what we're paying now. It'd be close to almost the same, if not maybe a little bit more. So it's crazy that we would be investing into our own facility with the opportunity of outgrowing it, selling it, and going and getting something else in the future. It'd be crazy to think that we'd just be handing over our rent money to a landlord for years on end and just losing that money completely. Can the Lord provide? Absolutely. But we also want to be good stewards. So we're very careful even in that. I don't really talk about it that much from up here, right? I don't want to because I know that God, at the end of the day, God's going to take care of us. He's the faithful and true witness. He always has. He, he is. He always will in the future, past, present, future. And that's the perspective that we need to have in having a relationship with him is that we're not going to try to take things into our own hands. We're not going to make programs and, 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 and be perceived by, by the outside or on the outside of having it all together and being rich when actually inside we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. The shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. These are the things that Jesus wants to do in response to their condition, which is interesting that they thought that they were rich, but they were poor. They thought that they were rich, but they were really poor. And what does he counsel them to do in, in that respect? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich. Do you know what process, you know what process gold has to go through in any precious metal. There, it's, it's, very, it's very hot. It's very uh, huge amounts of pressure. You guys know how diamonds exist, right? Diamonds come from time and pressure to where they're, they're, they're forced into this, this beautiful material that we cut and form into pretty things that we can give to girls. And I just saw this video recently. It's, it's a, one of those little funny, cute YouTube video things that you can do with your kids. Don't even think about it. I'm not doing it with you guys. I don't care. Just He's like, Dad, remember you said you were going to do that? I said, I never said I was going to do that. So you take a burning hot coal, like a, a, you know, like a charcoal, and then you take a tub of peanut butter and you stick it in the peanut butter and you coat it. Have you guys seen this before? 
is pretty cool. You coat it with the peanut butter and then you take it out and you stick it in a bowl of ice and you cover it with ice and then you put it in the freezer and you freeze it. And then when, when, you, when you take it back out of the freezer, you break the ice, you take it out and then you put the peanut butter, which is sad because you kind of think it wastes the other peanut butter and I really like peanut butter. But you take the little glob of frozen peanut butter and you put it in a warm bowl of water and then you wash all of the peanut butter off and then you can rub the black off with your hands and it turns into a crystal like that big, like see-through, looks like a big, sweet-looking crystal because, you know, crystals look kind of cool. So they say that the pressure, you know, from the peanut butter and all this stuff, I don't know, I'm not a scientist. That's Charles's department. But <laughs> what, you, what you get is this crystal that's this big, right? Now, if somebody were to come up to me and say, hey, I've got this puny little thing, you know, this little 500-carat diamond in this hand, I don't even know how big that would be, but I've got this, this honker in the other hand. Which one would you rather have? Well, you, you didn't know better. They may look similar and they both look cool. That one looks a lot bigger, but it's not really worth anything. You can make it at home. But the real thing that took pressure is, is, is what, what you really should be desiring. This is what he's saying to the Laodicean church. He said, you guys think you're rich. You got a chunk of coal made from peanut butter that's worthless, and what I have, I've got the real thing. So you want to receive my counsel? My counsel is, is that, that you would desire the real thing. And what you're going to have to go through to get the real thing is pressure and time and maturity. That's what's going to have to happen. That stuff doesn't come overnight. And it's very difficult for us as Christians to have to go through. But we don't realize to what benefit it is. I've been meditating a lot on 1 Peter chapter 1 in my own personal time. I don't want to spoil it because I think that I would really like to do 1 Peter next after we're done with Ecclesiastes on Sunday mornings. So I don't want to go into it. I'm just really excited about it right now, okay? But um, Peter says that don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you find yourself in because it's for the perfecting of your the faith, the perfecting or the showing of the genuineness of, of your faith. And I don't know about you, but I want to have genuine faith. I don't want to have fake faith. They go, look at me. I've got fake faith. Is that good enough? No, it's not. It's never going to be good. It's not good at all. Like you don't want faith to be fake. You want faith to be real. You want it to be genuine. You want it to be authentic. And, and Jesus says you can have it, but it's not going to be this baloney, this worthless kind of thing that, that you're doing over here. It's going to have to, to, you're going to go through a different process and then you're really going to see what richness is. There's this, um, I forget their names now, but they, uh, you know, the through gates of splendor people, what were their names? You guys know, they, they were, uh, in, in, it's, uh, what's their names? Elizabeth Elliot, but who were the ones that came and spoke? It was his friend and wife who went back to the tribe after they killed their friends and continued to share the gospel with them. Anyway, they came and visited Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa at a missions conference one year, and we were there, and I got to talk to him for a couple minutes. Some of the most genuine, sweetest, most precious saints I've ever met in my life. Humble just willing to be used of the Lord. And then he's talking about the stuff that they went on and the Lord did through them with the, the, the lost tribes that they were ministering to. People started getting saved. Those people who, who murdered the missionaries, the families, then they became a light. Their tribe became a light in that area that were able to reach out other tribes. And then they opened up radio stations and did all kinds of crazy things. Just the humblest, sweetest people. You know what they had? They had genuine faith, and you could see it. You could see it on their face, like we were talking about this morning. The, the wisdom that they had gained through years of pressure and service to the Lord produced this, this shining of their faces. Super, super sweet. That's what true wealth looks like, though. Not sour, disgruntled, and upset at the end of our lives but knowing that what we experienced was the goodness of God in our lives and we're in a much better place and, and, the, and the, the, the proving of the genuineness, genuineness of our faith is evident and clear to people all around us that we come into interaction with on a, even on a daily basis. 
So he says to him, first, you, you buy gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. I have what true wealth looks like. And white garments that you may be clothed. The white garments, many people would agree, was, was opposite of the black garments that were famous that this area produced. So whatever, you know, the minerals in the soil or whatever, I'm not really positive, but the minerals in the soil and the, the, the grass that grew there, um, that gave this black wool of the sheep this, this special sheen that you couldn't really get anywhere else. You know, it's kind of like buying wine from a certain area or just these regional areas, or a diamond from this area. They produce the best, and they produce the best of this black wool, and, and they would make these garments. And he's saying, you know, you, you, you take off, or actually you're already naked, but instead of putting on this thing that, that is causing you or people making it look, people thinking you look wealthy, I have something to offer you. It's a robe of white. And the robe of white always speaks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that God imputes upon us through Jesus Christ. So he's saying, you, you buy gold refined by fire from me so that you could be really be rich, rich. And you have these white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. I've never been caught before in the nude, so I'm not really sure what the shame of the nakedness is exactly, but it would be shameful. I have had dreams. You guys ever had dreams? Like I go to school, you know, wake up, brush my teeth, everything, take a shower, walk in there, get to school, walk in the classroom in my underwear. And it was like, bah! I'm like, how did I, how did I forget my pants? It's shameful. So I know in theory, I can share stuff like that with you. I love you guys. Please don't get mad at me because I love the smaller groups and being able to, to be, be silly sometimes. But I have had those dreams and that would be shameful. He's saying it's shameful for you guys to walk around like this. It's shameful for you to be exposing yourself to the degree that people are going to recognize and, and, it, and it's going to be shameful to you. So I'm going to give you these white robes. They're going to they're be uh, covering your nakedness so that it's not revealed. And then lastly, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Isn't it interesting that that Laodicea was known for this eye solve that not only was famous in the surrounding area, but was exported because it, it worked and it was developed in this medical school in Laodicea. And I find ourselves many times, this is what happens if, if maybe we're connected to the church of Laodicea, we, we get so uh, settled down in self-sufficiency that we're going to take care of ourselves and we're going to create these medications that are going to help us when God says, I'm the one that heals. I'm the one that's going to take care of you. Do I mean that you should stop taking your medication? No, absolutely not. Don't be crazy. But I do see people leaning more and having more of a dependence on the, the medical community than trusting that where they're at right at that moment is a place that God is going to use to, to, to shine through and demonstrate his glory. You know, uh, the, the man, was it the man with the withered hand? I don't want to get the, my, my miracles confused or mixed up, but the man with the withered hand, they, they, Jesus said it wasn't his, his own sin and it wasn't the sin of his parents. And then, well, then why is he crippled? Oh, it was the blind man. Yeah. So he says, then, well, then why is he, then why is he blind? Because the, the birth was either, you know, there, there was either um, a personal sin involved or if blindness specifically spoke of, I remember now the prophecy in Isaiah where it would be the sins of the parents that were there were to blame. And Jesus said it was, it was none of those things. The, the, the condition of this man, this man's blindness is um, for the glory of God. Because if he wasn't blind then he wouldn't be able to receive his sight miraculously being blind from birth. And God allowed him to be blind from birth and to experience all that his whole life so that the glory of God could be shown through him by Jesus, healing him. And the people come and they say, you know, what happened to you? What did you do? Who did this to you? Blah, 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 whatever. When it comes to another blind man, he says, I don't know. All I know is that I was once was blind and now I see. And now Jesus is talking to the Laodiceans and says, hey, you guys, you're blind. You're spiritually blind. You don't see where you've ended up. You can't even see that you're naked. And I, I want to help you out here. You're naked. 
and it's not good. So I'm going to give you garments. I'm going to give you this, this eye solve. I don't want you to trust or depend on the world or the, the methodology or thinking of this world. I want you to trust and depend on me. The last year or so that my mom was with us, Lord bless her, two days ago, last Friday was her five-year anniversary of being with Jesus, which I was super excited about on one hand, but also very um, you know, just, uh, just thoughtful on the other hand. Five years ago, she went to go be with him. And I remember the last year, um, she was trying everything. You know, she was on the internet, which is a bad idea, looking for what you should do in that her kind of situation. She had stage four breast cancer and um, she's trying everything. You know, she, she, just wanted to live. You know, she just wanted to live. And, and she also wanted to make sure that, that God was going to be the one that got, got the glory because it went into remission once and then it came back and she believed that it was going to go into remission again and, and be completely taken away. But I remember having these conversations with her the last six months and, and you know, she would say, she'd say, I, I want to try whatever I can so that I can live, but I don't want any of the glory to go to any of these things that I'm doing if it prolongs my life or heals me of this condition because I know that, that God is the one that heals and he's the one that, that healing me. What they gave her when I went to the doctor with her after we moved back to the States, it was pretty quickly. They gave her um, a couple months to live and then that's when she cut off everything no chemo, no nothing. She stopped going to the doctor. She stopped getting PET scans because of the radiation. Basically, they gave her two months. And she's like, then why are we still having a conversation about this? Like, you've already said it. So I'm cutting everything off and I'm just doing these homeopathic things and I'm seeking the Lord. She lived for over a year after that before she went home to be with the Lord. And not only did she live for more than a year, but she was in the most peaceful, accepting place because she wasn't in a hospital bed out of her mind because of all the stuff that she was going through. She's in a good place. And I think it, for me, it's just a really good example for me personally of looking at the things that the world has to offer, but as a believer, not giving ourselves over to them. I don't know if I'd classify it as much as idolatry, as more of a dependency on somebody or something that has no business receiving any of my, my trust, right? Because Jesus is the one who says he's the, the faithful and true witness. He is the one that um, is the amen. He's the beginning of all creation. He's big picture. Who's going to take care of the Laodicean church? Not just some quick fix, that, like they were trying to give to the people there in Laodicea. And I don't, I don't think, that, again, that, that any of that's bad necessarily, but what are the intentions of our heart when we give ourselves over to it? I've said this many times, and it's also something that could be pretty controversial, so I hope that you can capture my heart with it also. Um, somebody, people have asked me in the past, um, hey, Tim, why doesn't God do miracles and healings like he does in the Bible? Why doesn't it happen today? And my first question is, well, how do you know it doesn't happen? And they say, well, because, you know, I have never seen it. I'm like, okay, well, like without trying not, you know, trying as best as I can not to be a jerk, I say, okay, well, why does Jesus need to heal you if you have an insurance program and a retirement all set up to take care of that stuff for him? Like, he wants you to trust in him. Now, again, I'm not saying not to have insurance. I'm not saying to be prepared for the future. But we lean so heavily on these systems that it's almost like it's everything's going to be taken care of. Everything's going to be okay. And, and we've, we've made it ourselves. We've gotten to the point now where we want everybody in America to have health care. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying like, we need a security net. We need, we need something to be able to take care of us. We, we need to have this perception of having it all together. When in reality, it could be that we're we're naked, poor, blind, and, and what's the, my favorite one there? Wretched, miserable, miserable, not happy, not doing good. 
And this is the counsel. I want you guys to have genuine faith, I think, is one of the things he's saying. I want you to be clothed in my righteousness, not your own. I don't want you to figure out how to make things happen so much and take care of yourself. I want to be the one that takes care of you. I have this special ointment for your eyes, this eye solve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And what is Jesus saying? He's not trying to be mean to them either. Like, those are some pretty, those are some pretty harsh things to say. Hey, you're wretched, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Those are some pretty difficult things to say to somebody. In fact, if I said that to any of you, you'd probably be upset and leave and never come back again. But Jesus is saying, I'm not saying these things to you to be mean or to be contrary or to, or put, to put you down. I'm saying this to you because I love you. Because this is your real condition, you don't realize it, and I love you, and, and I, I rebuke and chasten those who I love. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This is another call to repentance, as we've seen to the other churches, which means a stopping of one's going in one direction and go in a 180 in the opposite direction. Stop going down this road that you've given yourself over to. And, and for this, it was a dependency issue. We haven't even talked about uh, the rest of the water yet, but there was a dependency issue. You see, they couldn't have water springs up on this plateau. They had to do this kind of uh, pipeline, so to speak, to run water up, and, and it wasn't efficient. And in the drought seasons, sometimes they, they ran out of water and they couldn't get any water to the city and they had to haul it up there. How difficult would that be? To a city, a place that should have read, readily available access to water, but there is a dependency issue. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I cannot wait to have in and out with Jesus. I love, like I said to you guys before, and, and I love going through Ecclesiastes and how he just reinforces my sentiment on it. I love, one of the things that I love more than anything is sitting down with a brother, a dear brother or sister in the Lord and having a good meal together. Jesus is my kind of guy. He's like, hey, I want to come back in and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to sup. So what's up? We're going to get together and the first thing we're going to do where you in and out it is, Tim. Let's go have some in and out. It's probably not going to be in and out, but it's going to be better. Could you imagine cooking? Like you watch Top Chef. I think Top Chef is cool. Chopped is cool. All those cooking shows are cool. But then you see Jesus cooking breakfast on the shore and the disciples come in and you're eating food that Jesus just prepared. Can you imagine how amazing that fish was? How amazing that breakfast was? I can't imagine. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on the door. I was escorted out of the premises and, and I didn't, I'll never leave you or abandon you. I didn't leave. I was, I was, I was excluded. And Jesus is so faithful that he's like, I, I would like to come back in. I would like to come back in, not only just to be with you and have fellowship with you, but to sup with you, to eat together with you. And in that culture, eating together with somebody was one of the most intimate things that you could do with somebody on a level of friendship in that Eastern culture. It was to have a meal together. So it's not the context of somebody coming to know God or God pursuing a non-believer. It's the context of, of a people who have kind of excluded God from their lives. And on the outside, everything seems fine. And, and they've seemed like they have it put together and they put themselves together well. They're self-made people. They've got the career. They've got the minivan. They've got whatever they want in life. But they're still struggling and they're broken inside as people. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to abandon you. You're in a bad place. I love you. I want to be there for you. But what's necessary for us to start that process is your repentance. And what repentance is, is a recognizing of our current state. And that's the first thing I do whenever I find myself in a deluded spiritual state that I should not be in. The first thing I do is I go to Jesus, I go to the Father, and I repent and say, God, I don't know where I went wrong. I don't know what compromises happened. I don't know why I've been thinking this way lately, but it's not right. And I'm sorry, I repent. I do not want to, I don't want to think that way anymore. 
And that opens the door for restoration and for me to get going back on track with the Lord to have fellowship with him, to have a meal. On another note, imagine the wedding supper of the lamb. The Bible teaches us that we are going to have a huge party when we get to heaven. The wedding supper of the lamb where Jesus and the church are finally together and there's going to be this rip-roaring good time. Where we're going to imagine... I had a beef Wellington for the first time time in my life like a month ago. It was incredible. If you imagine the kind of beef Wellington God the Father has in store for us in heaven. I can't even I can't comprehend. But it's all over this it's all over this this uh, fellowship and food and friends and family. This is the language that the Bible uses speaking of what our relationship with the Lord and with each other is going to be like in heaven. I think it's really exciting. I think it's really cool. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, to the churches. Overcomers, those who would get past this season of difficulty in Laodicea. What's the promise? The promise is that they would be able to sit on the throne with Jesus. I can't, I can't really wrap my head around that. I don't know what that's going to look like. But, but he says something that he says, I'm going to share my position with you. What does that look like? I don't think that it looks like uh, any kind of authority over others. It's a full submission under the authority of God the Father that Jesus exercised and sat in, but in his glory on his throne is going to be pretty incredible. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In closing, um, these letters were to all the churches. Yes, it was addressed to one church, but the warnings go for everybody. So I have, uh, comprehensively speaking, seven of the warnings that Jesus spoke to seven of the churches. And we'll go down them in a list. The first one to to the church of Ephesus, there was the danger of losing their first love. That speaks pretty loudly to us as well. But there's this danger of losing the first love. To the second, the fear of suffering. To the third, doctrinal compromise. To the fourth, moral compromise. To the fifth, spiritual deadness. To the sixth, failure to hold on. And to the seventh, lukewarmness. Danger of losing first love, fear of suffering, Doctrinal compromise, moral compromise, spiritual deadness, failure to hold on, and lukewarmness. These are seven of the things that Jesus spoke to those seven churches, among other things that he wants us to consider when we look at the seven churches of Revelation so that we can address things in our own life, so that we can be in the best place possible spiritually that we can be for our own sake, but not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others, for the sake of those around us for the sake of our families, for the sake of our churches, for the sake of our friends, so that we can be that conduit that God uses to reveal himself to the world, no matter what place we are in, historically speaking. And I am the furthest from the doom and gloom. I really cannot stand the doom and gloom. Um, I grew up through the 90s. That's all I heard. I'm not going to get on my little... my soapbox, but it's all I heard, doom and gloom, you know. We used to joke in Pahrump that we were the smart ones. Everybody made fun of people in Pahrump. They said, nothing good comes from Pahrump. I don't know if they say that, but I say that. Nothing good comes from Pahrump. It's a biblical reference if you know it, but we would make jokes. Yeah, they're making fun of us now, but when California breaks off and slides into the ocean, we're all going to have beachfront property. We say stuff like that. And, and Y2K, don't even get me started about Y2K and the preppers for Y2K. And, and, and my whole life, I was told that Jesus was coming tomorrow. And I was so distraught because I really wasn't walking with the Lord. I really wasn't a Christian, but these evangelical Christians told me that I had to get right with God because he's coming soon. And I'm not going to be able to get married. I'm not going to be able to have kids. I'm not going to be able to have a job. I can't buy a house. I can't get my own car. And I was devastated. I was petrified that I was going to just have to, you know, my life was going to end at 14 and I was going to go to heaven without getting to see what life was really about. So I really hesitate and shy away from the whole doom and gloom stuff because 
I don't, I don't know if God wants us to have that perspective. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be in a place so that we're not ashamed at his appearing. But I don't think he wants us to live like many people live today of this impending uh, tribulation that's going to happen or, or hardship that's, that's going to be devastating to us. I was just talking to our men's group and last Monday and they were talking about how like half of them were preppers and I'm just hard, just hard to wrap my mind around that. Like, yeah, I get it. Like you want to be ready and, and we want to be ready, but, but let's, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and neglect that, that we have good news to give to people. And when I was receiving it when I was younger, you guys remember Nostradamus? My parents were bringing videos home of Nostradamus um, uh, predicting the end of the world. I was getting it from all angles, Christian and non-Christian, and I was just so tired of it. It, it affected the way I live my life. I can't share that tonight, and I won't. That's for a, a definitely more intimate setting, but it affected my life, and, and we need to be people who are, who are introspectively, um, adjusting our lives according to God revealing himself to us and in the best place possible to present the good news to people today because it is a good news. You are part of the church. You, you are blessed. You are happy. You are part of his family. And we are going to feast together in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your... For your um, last letter here in Revelation to Laodicea. None of us would really like to identify ourselves with the Laodiceans, Lord. So we pray that if, if we do fall somewhat into that category by, by any measure, that you, would, that you would, Lord, help us. Help us out of it. Help us towards repentance. Help us towards healing. Help us towards uh, restoration in, in our witness of you, of the faithful and true witness, the amen, the firstborn from all creation. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would bless them exceedingly abundantly, even this week, that you would answer their prayers, that you would speak to them, that you would lead them in righteousness for your name's sake, that you would be glorified through their lives and that their faces would shine. In Jesus' name, amen.